If you love this podcast, we know you love great stories about purpose-driven leaders. Meet some of these leaders, hear even more inspiring stories, and learn best practices at the 2021 Small Giants Community Summit. We're bringing together hundreds of like-hearted leaders for a virtual conference that won't leave you with Zoom fatigue. We'll have interactive sessions, fun ways to casually meet up with your fellow attendees virtually, and even live entertainment. Visit smallgiants.org to register, and we'll see you there. Welcome to the Growing with Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. We've heard from so many leaders in the Small Giants community that the events of the last year have left them with more questions than answers, especially when it comes to financial planning. In this episode, we're going to do a special mailbag episode to answer your questions about how small giants can approach small business finance, especially in uncertain times. Listeners to this podcast submitted their questions, and I've invited special guest Mackie McNeil to join me and lend her expertise. If you have a question for the Growing With Purpose podcast, email at us at hello at smallgiants.org. So Mackie is the CEO of the company by the same name, Mackie, a Cincinnati-based firm offering family-owned businesses an invaluable and innovative combination of coaching and CFO-level financial expertise to increase their chances of a successful succession. Mackie is the author of several books, including The Intersection of Joy and Money, a workbook for changing your relationship with money. Welcome, Mackie. Uh, thanks for having me, Paul. It's great to be here with you. Well, uh, this is a topic that everybody is talking about. We are in uh, March right now, 2021. Everybody has been through this incredible year uh, and things are continuing, uh, of course. We hope that there's light at the end of the tunnel, but uh, what have you seen in terms of your own business during this last year, during this pandemic, and how it's affected uh, not only your clients, but even your own business? Yeah, those are great questions. Thanks, Paul. Um, you know, I was, this is my fourth or fifth recession. So it's not my first mm-hmm. rodeo, but it's different. Each one is different. Um, and this time, what I have seen happen was so different in that. You've had people who um, the impact of the shutdown really took their business just just took off and they could not handle the amount of new business that they received. And then you've had people who, you know, actually had their doors shut and, of course, everything in between. So unlike a lot of especially in the 08 time frame when, you know, business, all businesses just really kind of contracted. And what you saw was nobody was buying anything. And it took a long time for confidence to return. So almost all industries were hurt. Here, it's been very um, varied in terms of significant change, um, you know, cash crunches to really the the challenges, how to fund the cash for the growth and and the business. Um, And, you know, when we, um, in April, when the shutdowns kind of became, you know, when March, when the shutdown came in in April, when we started taking on in our own business, we um, actually comped several clients for 
uh, that we were concerned about who had to shut down for their fees with us. So we took a hit. And then we began to do a lot of free work for anybody who needed, basically, mm. you know, digesting all of the new law and helping people understand how to apply for the PPP, how to take, whether they were going to be able to take advantage of the tax credits that were in that bill, whether they needed an idle loan. And um, we started doing webinars on cash management because my my philosophy of, of every recession is always that you have to survive to thrive. So it becomes a point of you know, how do we manage what cash we have so that when this is over, we are still standing because <laughs> we know that there'll be less people standing in our marketplace. So if we can make it there, we have a, a good chance of success. So we did um, a lot about helping people understand how to manage their cash. We, we gave, we put all our tools on our website. They were there for free downloads. And um, we had some real interesting, you know, we were able to help a lot of people. We helped them get millions of dollars in funding and and felt really good about that. And we've seen since our business just really taken off. We're growing at about 15 to 20% uh, year over year in terms of our return, our rate of change. And just about really kind of thinking about putting in a waiting list because we are at our capacity or very close to our capacity right now. Yeah, I think that... Uh you guys probably have something in common with psychologists right about now, where uh, <laughs> between between uh, the you know people that need some sort of therapy or people that need financial help, uh, it's making uh, it's giving those waiting lists to uh, firms like yours. Uh, and I think you obviously invested upfront in um, education of people in this very confusing time. Uh, I remember those early PPP loans and and people were just scrambling to figure it out. And and like you said, uh, this this recession was uh, kind of feast or famine. There were people that had to close their business and people that couldn't even handle uh, the growth and and just unforeseen financial challenges along the way. Um, thanks for the good work that you've done so far, and I'm glad it's done so so much for your business going forward. Let's dive into some of the questions that we got in our mailbag. We got some really great questions from our members. Um, here's the first one. It says, after the events of 2020, I want to be more prepared for the unexpected. How do you recommend business owners approach contingency planning? And how much would you set aside for contingency? I, I think that's an amazing question. And certainly one of the things about recessions is it always brings up our um, radar and says, how do we be prepared for the for the downside? And um, you know, so to answer the second question, which is how do you how do you know how to set aside for contingency, which is a little bit of the easier question. I, you know, our recommendation is always 90 days of cash headroom. Uh, so a minimum of 90 days of overhead in the bank that's very liquid. You know, that's not in, it's money that's available to you. However, you know, uh, an ideal situation is 180 days or six months. But we what we find is that most companies keep about 20 to 25 days of cash on hand. So we that's one of the things that we originally work with clients on is building that cash headroom so that they have that that back that stop gap. Um, for them in tough times. And things happen besides recessions too. Sometimes people lose a big client. So setting aside for contingency, I would say the other thing is to monitor your cash weekly. Um, we have a, um, a tool on our website called Cash Headroom and you download that. It's a really simple fill-in-the-blank spreadsheet. 
uh, you can able to, there to set your minimums. You know, this is how much cash I need in my business. This is where I'd really like to be in my business. It gives you a visual, produces a graph, so you see that every week. And I've had people have a lot of success. It's just really easy to use and really quickly keeps you informed of where your cash is at all times. Uh, I would encourage people to use it once a week and, and you know, print, put the report at, together at the same time each week so they can see the trends in their business. And then adjust. Always better to adjust before the crisis gets too big, of course. And having that uh, frequent information is helpful because cash is a fast-moving asset. So we have to adjust to it regularly. So um, the second question, did you want to say something about that, Paul? Well, yeah, I just wanted to ask if there is a, uh, are there economic indicators also um, that you can be looking at externally so that you are less reactive to that potential contingency planning or, or the need for that cash? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think that we can all, if you've, um, in our own industries, find the benchmark, the public benchmarks that most closely relate and um, track your activity relative to those benchmarks. We actually put out every uh, quarter an economic forecast, a short-term economic forecast based on the economists that we're watch watching and we divide it up by industry. And if you would be happy to provide that to anyone who's interested, but it basically says in this industry, this is what we think is going to happen in the next, you know, short term. This industry, this is what's going to happen in the short term. And here's how you might prepare. Here's how you, what things you might think about. But clearly, um, I think um, understanding good, you know, the economic ground that we're all walking on is helpful. But then, you know, like with COVID, things happen that are unexpected. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But those are, yeah. I, I highly recommend that people get a little more economic um, savvy one way or the other. There are other, um, there are people out there, ITR um, is someone that has a subscription-based um, economic service that you can subscribe to. And um, if you're, or you can do it yourself by finding those things that really track your business. When it comes to this contingency planning, I think you said that Many companies don't have the, they may have 25 days on average of cash, but I, I, I'm thinking of these smaller businesses, many of the small giants audience and members are, are smaller businesses. It seems to me that part of it is just paying attention to this, uh, paying attention, like you said, through this weekly cash planning or through checking these economic indicators. Uh, how important is this to the to the role of the leader is to look at these financial benchmarks and make sure that they are prepared? I think it's critical. And I, you know, we have, when we're putting metrics together for a client, um, of course we have monthly goals, but we have weekly scorecards. And the faster something moves, so I have two things that we recommend people track weekly. One is um, your metrics for your individual departments or individuals. So whatever their metrics are, if it's for sales, it's usually something about number of calls, number of contacts, number of leads. Um, so you're measuring those kind of activity measures weekly. And for cash uh, on the in your financials, generally you don't need to measure the slower moving assets, receivables, payables, inventory, except once a month really review that. But for cash, a weekly check-in. 
I find it's life-changing for people when they actually start doing that on a regular basis and not from the perspective. I think it's also important to put it together in a graphical format so you can see the direction uh, that your cash is headed. So it's very easy. You know, it's like, what is the story about the frog that gets, <laughs> that boils, gets boiled alive because the heat turns up slowly? Um, that's what can happen when you're just looking at the data at the end of each month or, or the end of each week. If you're just looking at a number, but you're not looking at it in perspective, the graph gives you that perspective. Is my cash growing? Is it declining? Is it declining because I'm growing and I'm eating cash? Is it is it declining because I'm losing money or I'm not collecting my receivables? So one of the key principles that we use is data is uh, best when we apply curiosity. So the purpose of the data is to make us curious when we need to be curious so we go learn more. So if you have the right reports coming to you, you can basically say, oh, everything's okay, or wait, I need to get more curious right now and I need to get my team engaged. Yeah, that's great. I uh, love that quote. And the fact is that once you have these scorecards of the system set up, it doesn't take a lot of time to to uh, to do it, to check in and just see that you're doing okay. And uh, it reminds me of my personal financial advisor who uh, talked about, not so much from a company standpoint, from more of a personal standpoint, that what you called um, sleep at night money, right? right? So it just makes you feel better to know that you've got some cash and reserves should um, those uh, events happen that are planned or unplanned. And I think that's great advice. I want to jump to the next question. That's a little related, has to do with forecasting. And this member says, I would like to begin forecasting, but the numbers before, during, and after the economic shutdowns are so different that I'm struggling to start. What are a few steps I can take to get started with forecasting during uncertain times? Well, I think that what one of the things I tell people about forecasting is of course you're looking to the future. So unlike accounting, when we're looking to the past, there's always some uncertainty because we're looking ahead, right? So we have to remember that forecasting is a very different process and it's I find it's iterative. So I, I start my forecast and it can seem like it's useless because in the beginning, you're probably not very good at it. <laughs> it's like learning to ride a bike, you know, or learning to drive a car. In the beginning, you felt, it felt very awkward and where do I go and what I would do that? And you were kind of on overdrive with thinking about it. But um, if you get into the cycle of forecasting, what you find is that you'll get better. I find it takes someone about three to six months to get pretty good at, say, forecasting sales, which I encourage all of our clients to forecast sales weekly. You know, so weekly we're forecasting our sales. We're, you know, most people have some sort of CRM to manage their sales pipeline anymore. We've put some probabilities to that. So we're actually forecasting the dollars in the door and seeing what we think is going to happen. And then you can begin to react from a production standpoint. You can begin to react from a capacity standpoint. And you can begin to prepare for growth or, or for the reverse of that. Um, and But I do find if it's really just about sticking with it. So, you know, set some... So when I'm having, for example, if I'm having someone do a sales forecast, I have them define their funnel. And um, you can get better at that because, like, say, of course, closed sales are pretty easy. But let's say the first step is someone makes an inquiry. So if you actually go back in your data and find out how many people who make an inquiry ultimately buy, 
is it 10%, 20%, 5%, then I can say that I can kind of make a, an analysis from there that says, well, about 5% of the people who contact me buy. So if that funnel is $100,000, then that's maybe $5,000 of probability at this point. So I can begin to look at it that way. And I can always go back in my history. So as, as the questioner said, you know, that the, pers- the question was, it's uncertain. So what was it before COVID? What is it today? How's it going to pick up? What's that trend? You know, I'm a real fan of trends. So was I, was this at 5%? Is, was it, um, is it now at 10%? Was it at 20% before? You know, where are we going? And you may be able to see that, how things are shifting and then begin to predict from there. Once you know what the trend of something is, it's pretty easy to see which direction it's going and you begin to make a little stronger judgments about that as well. I hope that makes sense. (laughs) It does. Uh, What it reminds me of also uh, when I was running my company is sometimes this debate that might happen. If you have a little bit larger company or you have a sales team or a sales leader and you put that forecast in their hands, uh, those numbers are going to come back much more aggressive than maybe they should be. And um, so if, if you're particularly in these uncertain times where maybe you're coming out of a, a tough time like this, would you recommend that we err on the side of being a little bit more conservative around our forecasting? Well, I, uh, yes. And what, but if you do it weekly and then you actually track your results, what you'll see happen is, uh, I mean, we actually, you know, here's what we said we were going to do 30 days ago. This is what your forecast was. And if it's not, if you didn't produce that forecast, then you need to go back and change your forecasting process. So I think part of it is holding people accountable to the forecast process. But the other thing I think that's super important is to define the different stages. So we define the stages and they're not subject to judgment because that's where the salespeople are always mm-hmm. a little more optimistic, right? So there right. has to be some level of activity that we can define. And if we can define that activity, then we can say based when clients get to this point or when customers get to this point, we can go back in our data and see that at this we're closing 60% or whatever that number is. But it's based on activity that's defined, not on judgment of the salesperson. I find that makes a big difference. Oh, definitely. Uh, those um, those tend to be facts. It, it's right. Did it close or did it not? Uh, right. So yeah, I remember lots of those fun, fun debates. Um, that, that's a great, a great way to look at it. Uh, and I assume too, that for certain industries, whether it's a product or a service, if it becomes impractical, let's say to look at your forecast on a weekly basis, that as long as it's being done consistently, um, if it's every two weeks or every month, because of the nature of the product or service that, that the most important thing is consistency, uh, going forward. Yes, consistency and looking back and say, we hit it or we didn't hit it. How can we forecast more accurately in the future? And just always applying that curiosity to say, well, we didn't, you know, this didn't work. What, what did we, should we have thought about differently? What did we miss? What did we, how do we need to refine this process? Again, it's iterative and, and you will get better, but you have to put that accountability piece in too. This is what we said we were going to produce. This is what happened. How do we need to make this better? How do we improve? That's great advice. Uh, All right, we're going to go on to the next one. Uh, This is from a graduate of our Small Giants Leadership Academy. 
Small giants are companies that choose to be great instead of big. At the same time, small giants are not anti-growth and they're certainly not avoiding growth. So what is the healthy relationship between financial growth and maintaining a strong culture, purpose, and quality product? Is there such a thing as a good, healthy, responsible growth rate? When is getting big too big? I love this question. I love this question. And um, I think there is, and I think it ha- comes down to kind of a philosophy of how you are looking at your data, which sounds sort of odd for what I'm going to answer it, but hang with me here for a minute. So um, I think there are five functions of data. There's the been there data, which is your counting. There's the, I call it the hope here data. That's my BHAG, my, you know, 10-year vision where I really want to be, my strategic plan. There's the plan here data, which is like my one-year plan, my quarterly goals, you know, more short-term. There's the expect here data, which is my forecast. We just talked about forecasting. And then there's the look here data, which means I need to dive in. I need to look further. I need to analyze. And all these functions, if you get all these functions running in your business, they can be um, positive or negative to the point of the, you know, the, of the question relative to culture. If we have all these pieces running, and I see this often with people who come up with their first annual plan and then they give this to their salesperson or whoever it is and they say, this is what you're going to be accountable for. If we then use that as a judgment tool, it will divide us. So judgment divides, curiosity convenes. We have to say, here are the goals that we want to achieve and how do we work together to achieve them. So in terms of your culture and keeping your culture and purpose, I think you can actually absolutely grow and keep a strong culture as long as you remember that it's about being curious. Why am I not reaching the goal? Or why is Joe not meeting his goal? How can we understand what's happening in Joe's world so that we you know, can make this difference if Joe's in charge of sales? Is the marketing funnel not working? Is the closing process not um, as good as it could be? What do we need to tweak? So as long as we're staying out of judgment and we're just being curious and we're always asking, how do we improve? Curiosity convenes us, brings us together, makes us a strong team, and we really create a team sport. You know, that's what we're looking at. How do we use data to create, to be a team sport in our in our companies? And so I think to this question of this graduate, you can absolutely do both. Put those five systems in place and then basically ban judgment. That's one of my big, you know, it's a core value of mine. I said, we do not judge if we, we have only have information and then we apply curiosity to it. And that lets people open up and be honest and, and open with us and we can move forward from there. Let's take a quick break. As a leader, I value responsiveness. In fact, it's one of the values of the small giants community. When it comes to email, crowded and disorganized inboxes can get in the way of being responsive to the people who matter most. I was so happy to learn that the team at Basecamp, a 2017 Forbes Small Giants Award winner, has transformed email with their new product called Hey. Hey gives you back control of your inbox with features you never knew you needed, but you won't want to live without. The first time you receive an email from someone, you get to decide exactly what to do with it. You can add it to your inbox full of all the important stuff, your feed for casual reads, or your paper trail for receipts and other transactions. Or you can decide not to receive emails from that person. There's a handy reply later feature, so you never miss getting back to someone, even if you can't tackle it right that second. 
Hey also makes it easy to edit email thread subject lines into something helpful so you don't have to sift through long message threads that have evolved light years away from the original subject. Hey blocks spyware, makes attachments easy to find, and lets you send large files. Visit hey.com now to start a 14-day trial. That's H-E-Y.com for a 14-day free trial. And now back to the podcast. You know, someone in your position ha- works obviously to use curiosity in a way to approach data to make business decisions as it should be. And yet there's some of us that would, would sit back and say, and maybe another way to look at this question, well, could I overdo it by looking at these metrics? And is that going to compete with my desire to be a purpose-driven leader, focus on building a great culture, if I just focus on the numbers? I like to argue always that a strong culture of purpose-driven leadership and values is going to lead to better economic, better um, financial results for the company. Do you see that same sort of relationship or do you feel like that you need to let the numbers drive those decisions? Oh, I'm, I'm with you, Paul. I think that they absolutely can come together. And I, if you think about, it's about balancing head and heart, right? It's not about if we're just using the data, as long as we don't use it as a weapon. And again, we use it as a way to help people improve, but also encouraging them. So I'm a real fan of like, uh, we help clients set their big goals. So they set their big goals for the year. But then rather than setting the department goals of how they're going to get there, invite them in and let them set their own goals. People are much more likely to achieve their own goals. And you've already set the big parameters, right? So do you really care how they get there as long as they get there? Again, making it more of a team sport, the more we can open our books, invite people in and really ask them to participate. Most everybody wants that. I I think owners um, traditionally have been very closed about opening in their books, but Mm -hmm. we're seeing that really change. Those dynamics are changing. What people are finding is it really opens the floodgates of energy inside their business. And they have to have the numbers, Paul, as you said, they have to know what's expected. How are they going to help you get there if they don't know, you know, what, what is it that they're trying to accomplish? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, and being transparent, being opening those books, being inclusive in those discussions, uh, the more that companies are doing that, the greater results they're seeing because there's so much talent um, within the organization and leaders are realizing that they can't and shouldn't be doing it all, all themselves. This next question, I think, is right up your alley because you deal so much with uh, succession planning in your work. Over, after over a decade as CEO, I'm transitioning into an advisor role. The succession is going well so far. But my goal for the year is to be the best advisor possible to my successor and approach this role with intention. What are some thoughtful questions I can bring to our conversations? Any advice for how I can be as successful as possible in this new role? That's a great question. Um, I would say, as so if what I take from this question is that this person is really being a mentor to the person that he, he or she as transitioning the business to. Um, at first, when I first read it, I thought this they were advising not unrelated companies, but as I look at it again, I think it's inside their own. I think, you know, I am a, 
I set my own goals, my personal goals to meet my business goals every year. And this year I decided I was limiting my roles to speak, write, and coach. And um, so I would say that's the first thing I would say is set a clear intention. Is your intention to be in the business or is your intention to coach the business, you know, to coach the person in the business? And then share that with whoever, the, the person that you're working with, the, per, the successor, and say, this is how I'd like to work. And that invite them to hold you accountable. You know, it's there is a definite difference between I've always been in charge and I've always made the decisions and now I'm going to make this happen to, no, I'm going to let go and you're going to make the decisions and I'll coach you. And I would suggest maybe even taking a coaching class or understanding more about the difference in coaching and advising. They're very different kinds of roles. And I find that most people do a little bit better if you're actually coaching them in that role, especially as a successor. You know, asking the kind of questions would be, well, what do you think is stopping you? And I think avoiding as much as possible and not, I I know how hard this is as someone who's run their business for over 35 years, avoiding pointing out what the issue is and just continuing to ask deeper questions. So see if I can come up with a good example that would help here. I was working with my team yesterday and they were talking about some of the results that they were getting. And we were talking about basically the bottlenecks that are beginning to occur. So I just said to them, well, what, what is the bottleneck? Where do you see the bottlenecks? How do you think it's happening? What are the opportunities? Where are the, the things that need to move? How do we prioritize these things? So I just kept asking the questions once we identified that we were running, running into, this was the issue that they were having, we're running into a capacity issue. We don't know if we can say yes to our next customer because we want to, of course, deliver if we say yes. How do we manage this? And so we dissected it and we found some really good action plans and they went about doing that. So staying out of the, I think that's the first thing, staying out of the doing of it is going to be the, probably the biggest challenge, I think, for someone who's been the CEO for so long. One of the things that you did in the way you approached that with your employee is something I talk a lot about, is that as leaders, and I'm sure it's even more sensitive when you're a leader transitioning to a new leader, is that we tend to think we know the answers. Mm-hmm. And, and guess what? Maybe we do. But what the way you approach that is you didn't say, here's what I think is going on and here's what I think you should do about it. You said, what do you think is going on and what do you think we should do about it? So I, I quote this William Marriott, the hotel guy who said, seven most important words in business are, I don't know, what do you think? And uh, <laughs> let those that. answers let those answers come from others. And it takes patience to do that. And I think that particularly in a succession situation, there's a great sensitivity there to let that person that's taking over develop, learn, and do it their own way. And you have to, there's a certain amount of humble humility that comes with that too. So uh, I think that's a great suggestion. And your example showed exactly how, how you do that. Great answer to, to that one. Um, I, I got a couple of questions I want to throw in here really quick, um, okay. Mackie, if that's okay. Because I think that in these uncertain times, as you said, some companies really have suffered, some have thrived. I think most companies have been quite resilient uh, dur- during this. And so it seems to me that these uncertain economic times also create opportunity. 
opportunity around innovation. Maybe there's new product or services that companies have or could discover during this, this time. Uh, or maybe even um, as much as acquisitions, right? We There's other companies in our industry. And if we have the wherewithal or the financial stability to do it, maybe we can acquire other companies. But have you seen examples of people that have, quote, take advantage of this by uh, looking at opportunities during tough times? Absolutely. I, I'm. Um, that is a, a always a big theme of mine is I think there's opportunity in every economic season. Uh, we tend to get afraid when recession comes, when contraction comes, and we can either let the fear shut us down or we can rise above it, which is hard but uh, necessary, and say, what are the opportunity points for me here? So some of the things, for example, that we've helped clients do during this period is reassess their pricing, um, you know, actually look at how do they, how are they working, reassess their marketplaces, who are they serving? If their, you know, if their marketplaces were all restaurants, and they were in the marketing business themselves, you can see how that was going to play out last year. So, how did they go back and think? What am I? What's what am I good at? And, and can I apply this in a different marketplace? And um, we've seen those clients that had done this diligently, where they were looking at a future, um, you know, last year of not disaster, but really a slim looking future of themselves because they were serving markets that were in significant contraction, pivot, and actually are in a, a big growth cycle at this point. And also to hone what they do. But so those two things is really to reassess what is this marketplace? What is calling me now? And is there an opportunity? And sometimes we have um, something that we've always wanted to try and I said, I think trying new things is a good thing in recession too, because you can always say, well, especially in COVID, I said, well, we'll try it out and tell people this because of COVID, this is what we're trying out. If it doesn't work, we won't do it anymore. <laughs> you know. So, And we had a client that actually bundled, they, they used to sell their services a la carte. And they, um, because they were a face-to-face -face organization, they bundled things and sold them in a package actually raised their price, but their feedback from their customers was, this is so much better. This is such a better value than we were getting before. So again, you don't always know how your customer sees things. So trying out new things, and they did it as a test case, but it worked so well, they've continued to do it. And they're actually on a growth trend as well. I have had clients that have taken this as an opportunity to acquire, especially in those marketplaces where there were some significant contraction. They've been able to buy companies at very low prices. And of course, um, the SBA has come out with some very attractive financing. And so for those people who have been able to borrow and, and ex to expand, it's a wonderful, been a wonderful opportunity to uh, grow their... Um, I've had one company that's gone from two locations to five. So they picked up several different places that they that were on their target market that they'd like to have and companies that just didn't want to have to weather the storm and I've had companies that are looking at we're actually investigating for several the opportunity to sell because again in this marketplace if they had a resilient company so they had a company that didn't um, contract those companies are actually there's money chasing those companies. And if you have an owner that's retirement age and doesn't have an active successor, and in some cases, the valuations in the marketplace are so attractive that it makes an internal succession difficult if the owner hasn't otherwise 
done their financial planning and that their assets are all in the business. So in some cases, this is an opportunity to think about selling. Yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly right. In some of these industries, the, the market is so hot right now. And I always say timing is everything. Mm-hmm. And so I think the, the lesson from a lot of the answers that you've given to these questions is that these are practices that we need to be doing all the time, regardless of economic conditions. And as leaders, we have to carve out the time to, to rise above the day-to-day operation and to make sure that uh, we're, we're not only prepared for tougher times, but we're uh, taking advantage of opportunities that might come our way and having those conversations so that we can time the growth, the change in products, the possibility of, of acquiring, the possibility of selling, you know, all of this that, that sometimes we don't think enough about as we're just trying to survive in our business. And I think that's really uh, great advice. I want to throw in just one last question that is more related to the personal side for people because quite often in smaller companies, the the owner or the leader um, is under pressure to grow their business, to invest back in their business, uh, sometimes uh, to the detriment of their own personal finances and maybe trying to put some money aside or paying themselves well to uh, save not only for a rainy day, but to create a nest egg for their own family. Uh, What kind of advice do you have for people around how to manage the their personal finances as they go go through these growth stages in their company? Mm-hmm. I think it's a great question, Paul. And so many business owners put it off. In fact, the data is that um, most boomers who are the largest uh, largest block of business owners at this moment uh, have 80% of their wealth tied up in their businesses. And so what I would say to the to folks who are on that path of of I can't afford to save, I need to put it all in my business. So remember that what you're doing is you're limiting your choices. It seems like you're, folk, you're doubling down on what's working. And to some extent, we all always believe in our businesses, right? And they always have tons of potential. I'll tell you that about mine any day. But uh, by spreading your, by taking some of those monies and putting them aside, uh, you actually are giving yourself a lot more opportunity. So, for example, if you get to retirement age, and the, the case I was just saying that, you know, if, if the market is fairly hot, but you'd like to transition to the next generation, you can't really afford to sell at a discount because everything's now tied up in the business. Or say you want to do an ESOP or an employee buyout. You may not be able to do that because of the valuations that you get on that. So if you really have, an, especially in a purpose Driven, driven business, if you have an ultimate purpose that you'd like this business to serve, by not investing outside the business, you're really putting yourself at risk. And the other thing I would say to you is I have a client that calls me. He just retired two years ago. He calls me every holiday um, and has for three, he transitioned, took him five years to transition. For but the last seven years, he's called me and said, I wouldn't be doing this. If, and he describes it as like I stood on his desk and stomped my feet and said, you will either do this or I'm not going to work with you anymore. Mm-hmm. So uh, because how I was saying to him, you've got to save outside your business. You're, you're not, you're just using it, all your assets to grow your business. He's like, I'll never retire, which is what most 40 year olds will tell you, right? <laughs> <laughs> or 50 year olds even. I'll never retire. I said, no, there'll be a day that'll come that you want to, to, to close up. So, and the other thing that to kind of think about, so remember that you're not going to be this age forever. And the last thing I would say is 
young people, the most frequent question young people ask me when they're starting out is, how do you become a millionaire? And I say, well, the most, most people become a millionaire by saving a small amount of money over a long period of time. And they will say to me, no, really, I want to know how to become a millionaire. And I said, that's how most people that's do it. They, do. Yeah. <laughs> they save a small amount of money over a long period of time. So, you know, you think that I've only got $5,000 or something to save this year, and maybe it doesn't matter. It does matter. Put it aside. You'll be surprised at what it amounts to when you get to be older. It's so true. And I think about that with our kids, just to uh, try to educate them that uh, that kind of dollar cost averaging uh, starts to add up over time. And I remember even in, in my own business, I, I, I started my business uh, with my two brothers in 1985. And it wasn't until 2004 that I learned from our then CFO that we could take distributions from our company. We were really generating a lot of cash and doing well, but really not taking anything out of the company. He says, you know, there's these things called distributions. I said, what's that? He said, <laughs> yeah. you know, because I, so all of a sudden, you know, 2004, we start taking money out of the company. And just every year after that, I slept a little better. And mm -hmm. I just knew that even though we had this business that, uh, uh, was traditionally a, a commodity style business and uh, that we were growing it each year, uh, there's always risk. And right. uh, we had, you know, 400 people in a, in a building. And what if, uh, you know, a tornado came and knocked us out? I mean, there's always risk. And yet right. every year I found that I was more and more comfortable and that my family would be in a good position no matter what happened um, to the business. So I think that's just great advice. And uh, Mackie, these are just great, very practical thoughts that you've given in response to uh, our listeners' questions. Uh, I want to thank you for that, but I also want to reflect for a minute on some of the things that you said that I really learned today. Um, and, and first, I think that what you guys did in your firm at the beginning of the pandemic was to immediately uh, think about how you could help others. And I think that right there is a lesson. And you, by putting out this content, by doing webinars, by offering free services, you knew that people were suffering. You knew you had expertise to help them. So I know everyone that you've touched is grateful for that work. Um, in terms of contingency planning, talking about having that 90 to 180 days of cash and, and monitoring it through a, a scorecard, hopefully doing it weekly, uh, I love your quote, data is best when we apply curiosity. Uh, it's about doing it consistently, looking back, and then just answering that periodic question. Is, does this change the way we want to look at our business? Does this change the decisions that we're going to make? And really, same thing with, with forecasting. You know, Forecasting is guessing. We're always going to be wrong, but over time, we're going to be able to be less wrong if we apply this as, as a discipline uh, to our business. And I love how you talked about how culture and growth don't need to compete. They can be done together. And for those of us that are purpose-driven leaders, yes, we all want to grow. We all want to make money, but we want to let it come from leading our companies with purpose and values. And, and you can absolutely do that, but you also have to have the discipline to utilize the data in a curious way without judging. And that's how we're going to create even greater financial success and, and growth for our companies. Uh, uh, when it comes to succession, it's really like it, to me, very much like leadership in general, is that we have to set clear intentions for what our role is. We have to communicate that. We have to be humble around what uh, what we're doing. And we have to make sure that that those that we are, are teaching or coaching 
uh, feel like that they have the control over making their own decisions and applying their own curiosity. Uh, and I think that we all have learned that there is always opportunity to pivot in our business. Maybe we had a lot of downtime during the pandemic, so uh, we could maybe focus on some things that we hadn't focused on or had always thought about. And we want to carve out time and realize, as we say, that we want to work not just in our business, but on our business over time. And that means there's always opportunities to look at how we can make the business better, how we might be able to pivot in terms of our uh, our products, our services, how we can look at conversations or new relationships that might lead to an acquisition or maybe even a succession plan for ourselves. And lastly, that personally, it's important to realize that while we all have great confidence in our businesses, as it should be, and that's why we're entrepreneurs or in that sense, risk takers, we need to balance that risk with looking at our own personal situations, setting personal goals, putting even small amounts of money away and saving, because uh, that way we do have that money for a rainy day, that we way we do have a clear head that enable us to provide for our families for for the long term. So uh, Mackie, I want to thank you. This, this is just great. And uh, you obviously have tremendous experience and, and very practical thoughts that I know our listeners will benefit from. So thank you so much for being with me today. Well, thank you for having me, Paul. It's been a delight. I always am happy to share and help people be more financially prosperous. No, thank you. And thanks to all of you who submitted questions for the show. We'll have several more mailbag episodes this year to answer listener letters on a variety of leadership and business topics. Again, if you have a question for the Growing With Purpose podcast, email us at hello at smallgiants.org and we may read it on the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about purpose-driven leadership, go to smallgiants.org. Thank you very much. Until next time. 